Hello, and welcome to the Fuel Run Recover podcast, helping everyday runners fuel better, run smarter, and recover faster so you can reach your full performance potential. I'm your host, Stephanie Natchek, dietitian, fitness coach, and a fellow runner too. As the owner of Stephanie Natchek Performance Nutrition, I've spent the last 10 years helping runners learn to fuel their bodies, level up their running performance, and establish healthier relationships with food and exercise. If you're ready to reconnect with your love of running, then let's get started on today's episode. All right. So before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to invite you to check out a few great free resources that I created just for runners. To get them, all you have to do is click on the link in the show notes or visit www.stephanienachuk.com. If you visit my website, there's a little pop-up box that comes up and it'll prompt you to enter your email address and these guides will be sent right to your inbox. The first guide is my fueling guide for runners. So in this resource, you'll find my top fueling tips for runners, as well as some specific meal ideas for both your pre and post run fuel. If you've been struggling to understand what to eat when to support your running and just figuring out like what those meal ideas, like what those meals look like, what kind of foods you should be including before versus after you run, what the difference is between pre and post run fueling, then this guide is exactly what you need to get you started on the right path. The other guide that I created is my strength training guide for runners. So this guide includes both a PDF resource, has some tips, guidelines, and links to my YouTube series where I actually walk you through all of the exercises in the program. This is a great beginner strength training guide for runners who want an effective but efficient full body workout that helps support the key muscles and movements you need to run stronger and injury free. So once again, both of these guides are available together. I have them put together as a little bundle for you. You can just click on the link in the show notes or go over to www.stephanienatchek.com, enter your email address just the one time, and both of these free guides will get sent to your inbox right away. I hope you enjoy these resources and find them helpful in supporting you and your running. And now let's get into today's episode. All right. So hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Fuel Run Recover podcast, where I am so excited to be sitting down with Kelly Small. She is a physiotherapist with a special interest in both orthopedics and women's health and operates uh, here in Manitoba as the owner of Kelly Small Physiotherapy. So Kelly and I go back uh, quite a few years, actually. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to um, you know, being able to to kind of connect and and refer clients and and chat back and forth about you know all things to do with with nutrition and running and training and and all of that good stuff. So thank you so much, Kelly, for agreeing to be on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so I would love to get started by letting everyone get to know you a little bit more. So, of course, I gave a super brief introduction, but if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself, the work that you do, especially like, you know, kind of the the orthopedics and the women's health and, you know, kind of how how that looks in in your practice and the types of people that you serve, uh and a little bit more about your education background. Absolutely. So uh, I work in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I have a bachelor's degree in kinesiology. That's my first degree. And then I went on to pursue my master's of physical therapy. From there, I focused primarily on orthopedics. So orthopedics means bones, muscle, joint injuries. And in both men and women, I see orthopedic patients. 
Um, after my first pregnancy, I uh, started to pursue an interest in women's health. And the women's health patients that I see in my practice are primarily prenatal, postnatal um, individuals. And I do a lot of um, education for physical activity and pregnancy as well. That's great. That's great. And that's exactly what we're going to focus most of our conversation around today is, you know, having a, an active and, and fit pregnancy and just understanding some of the recommendations and guidelines and, you know, questions and, and things like that, that a lot of women have. We are recording this as I personally am in my third trimester of, of pregnancy. You'll be, you'll be hearing it um, down the road a little bit. But when it comes to women's health, you mentioned that you really took an interest in it uh, after your pregnancy. So what, what happened for you? Did you have issues that you ran into or like what kind of made you decide that that was an area that you wanted to work with? So I've been an athlete basically my whole life. Um, at the time of my first pregnancy, I was actually working at the gym at the refit center. So I had access to all the equipment. I was doing like high interval sprint training at the time. I was doing resistance training and I found I was pregnant. I just continued doing my regular routine of exercises. So didn't really modify too much. Around 16 weeks, I ended up getting a pretty bad bout of pubic symphysis pain. For any listeners who don't know what that is, it's pretty intense pain right at your pubic joint. It hurts to take steps. It hurts um, to balance on one foot, transfer in out of the car, get in and out of bed. So it was pretty severe. And I didn't really have like too much of a bump even, but I found that I, I couldn't continue running on the treadmill. Um, so I ended up going to see a physiotherapist who specialized in women's health. And she completely changed my outlook of what a pelvic physiotherapy appointment looks like. So not only did she do an orthopedic exam, so that's like my first area of special um, special interest, but she also took my goals and what I was doing at the time um, was able to educate me on women's health, such as pelvic floor, such as diastasis, pelvic organ prolapse. And I left that appointment being like, this was completely different than what I thought the appointment was going to entail. And then I left also thinking, oh my goodness, I am an orthopedic physiotherapist. This is an entire musculoskeletal system I knew absolutely nothing about. I do nothing about the diaphragm. I knew nothing about the pelvic floor. I knew nothing about the deep core system. I knew nothing about breathing. When patients would ask me how to breathe, I'd just be like, I, I'm just make sure you're breathing during your exercises. It's, that'll be okay. And then I started thinking, if me, an orthopedic trained physiotherapist who loves her job, doesn't know about women's health, doesn't know about what to do in pregnancy, oh my goodness, what does, what does the general population, what information do they have available to them? So looked into some courses and six weeks postpartum with my first, I got my first level uh, one training in, in women's health. Dove right in. Dove right in. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, and I love that you mentioned the breathing thing specifically. So I've been doing um, a prenatal yoga class, which has been phenomenal. And I'm really trying because this is something that I haven't thought a lot about before is in a yoga class, like in a yoga setting, really trying to do like your inhales and exhales along with certain, like along with certain parts of the movement or certain parts right. of, of the flow that you're doing. And I know that like all throughout the any yoga class you go to constantly, it's like, okay, and you're going to inhale and exhale. Like they're coaching you through when you're supposed to be breathing. But I realized that that is actually not something that I have paid a ton of attention to before. I've kind of just been doing my own thing over here with my inhales yep. and exhales and not actually, um, you know, timing it along with the movement, the way that they're coaching us to do. So that's something that I've really been trying to connect with in the last couple of weeks. Now that I understand sort of the importance with, you know, you mentioned your diaphragm and your pelvic floor and everything that has to kind of work together 
when it comes time to be pushing a baby out. Exactly. You need to, to get those muscles in check beforehand. Yeah. And just, just the coordination of everything. And I feel like running is, is so straightforward because it's just so repetitive that you're just in, out, in, out as you're running. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciating it on a new level and, and really having to like retrain my brain to learn that skill. It is what, what's like my first appointments. I teach women like, Hey, here's your breathing strategy and people get so confused. So it seems so strange. I'm like, Hey, the first thing we're going to work on is like your breath. And then you're going to practice that, come back and we're going to add like every single other exercise on top of that. But you probably need like at least a good couple of weeks to practice this because most people don't breathe properly. Yeah. Okay. So lesson number one from Kelly <laughs> is you have to learn how to breathe. <laughs> And then just do it for the rest of your life. It's not just in yeah. pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so I want to go back to the basics and, and really yeah. kind of take it back to the fundamentals, <clears throat> um, you know, even, even kind of beyond breathing and stuff. And because you had said, and I thought this was such an important comment that, you know, if you, as someone who has done a bachelor's and then a master's degree, you know, realize that there was these huge gaps in your knowledge around fitness and pregnancy and, you know, all of these very specific aspects to women's health and, and things like that, what does the general population know? And exactly. where, where are they missing information? And I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of people go into pregnancy and have absolutely no idea what to do. And not only that, but a lot of healthcare professionals also don't really have a ton of advice to give. So yeah. what are some of the basics of just fitness during pregnancy? Like what are, are sort of the, the things that everyone should know, maybe in terms of frequency of exercise, types of exercise, yes. intensity, like what, what's something that you just wish everybody knew if going into a, a pregnancy? Okay. Listen up. It is the 2019 Canadian Physical Activity Guidelines. Every single woman in their pregnancy should know what those guidelines are and should be educated on each one of the uh, points. These guidelines are evidence-based recommendations. They're from the Society of Obstetricians, Gynecologists uh, across Canada and the Canadian Society of Exercise Physiology. They all came together. They looked at so much research and collaborated and they came up with this uh, recommendation for every single woman who is pregnant in order to um, a woman who is able to meet these recommendations during their pregnancy, you can reduce your risk of having gestational diabetes, gestational hypertension, preeclampsia. You're less likely to have a C-section. You're more likely to have a vaginal birth and you're more likely to reduce uh, the second stage of labor. So that's when you're pushing. You're less likely to uh, give birth where the obstetrician needs to use a forceps or a vacuum, you're less likely to have urinary incontinence, decrease your low back pain, and a 60% reduction in prenatal depression. And that's just by hitting the requirements of the Canadian Physical Activity Guideline, which I will take you through right now. So number one, every single woman who is pregnant um, should try to achieve at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity each week to achieve clinical meaningful benefits. So a lot of people don't understand what that moderate intensity exercise means, right? Yeah. So that is based on your perceived exertion when you are exercising. That's going to be different for every single person. So moderate intensity, you can tell that your heart rate is increasing, but we are not obsessed about what our heart rate is in pregnancy because every single trimester, your heart rate is going up 10 beats um, every single trimester. Um, is that you just want in to... general or during exercise? 
No, in general. Every, oh, crazy. So your, your resting heart rate, like, and I'm not quite sure for like a twin pregnancy, what that would do to resting heart rate, but that can be very alarming because which we'll get to like in a few minutes, yeah. a lot of people have hurt. Don't get your heart rate under over 140 beats per minute, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So modern tensity exercise means that you are perspiring. You can tell your heart rate is going up. You can tell you're working hard. If you're exercising with a partner or just imagining that you are, you're able to carry on a conversation with that partner, but you couldn't sing a song. Okay. So it's not like you're just like shooting the breeze with them, right? Like you're actually putting in a bit of effort for that moderate intensity. And within these guidelines, there's no amount per session. So any amount is going to go towards that 150 minutes. So as you know, pregnancy is hard. A lot of women in their first trimester are exhausted. They are nauseous. Me telling them to go like walk on a treadmill or go on the elliptical for 30 minutes, people are like, absolutely not. Like I, I cannot do that. Simply going on for like two minutes, five minutes is going to have profound effects for both mm-hmm. mom and baby. That's great to know. That's great to you know. You can chop it up into small little manageable pieces and you will still get clinical meaningful benefits for baby and mom. Awesome. And I find that like, you know, for so many people that, you know, just, just kind of seeing comments online and, and just hearing women's stories is that, you know, a lot of people, if they do have a really hard first trimester with just exhaustion and nausea and, and all of these symptoms, it's so hard to pick it back up in the second trimester when you might've right. spent, you know, a good eight to 10 weeks really struggling just to get out of bed and get through your daily tasks, right. you know, like the fitness that I don't know, you know, how much fitness you actually lose in that time, but the, the fitness that you feel as though you've lost, it can be really hard to to kind of pick that back up later on. Yes. So the guidelines also state that even women who are previously inactive, we still want you to um, slowly build up to the 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise. Previously, it was stated in my first degree, we would coach women if you weren't doing exercise before, Unfortunately, you can't start exercise. These guidelines have oh. revolutionized, yeah. Okay. What we would, what we previously told to women, we are looking for at least three days per week of this moderate intensity exercise, but being active every single day is encouraged. Okay. The fourth recommendation is pregnant women should do a variety of exercises, such as resistance training. That is um, a huge part of my practice. I love to get women lifting, um, teaching them about sets, repetitions, how often to do it, what muscle groups to do. You're going to come to find being a mom is hard. Um, But the second we give birth, we are lifting a heavy car seat that's probably at least like 12, 15 pounds. Um, So by telling women that lifting weights um, could be dangerous, we all have that preconceived notion that lifting is dangerous. And then you give birth and you're required my stroller weighs like 40 pounds putting that into like my my car that's heavy like transferring my children out of the vehicle and they just get heavier as they get older i have a two and four year old now my four-year-old weighs about 45 pounds i had to haul her in the house yesterday and i always think like how on earth would i be able to do this if i didn't lift weights so i think that resistance training is incredibly important for being a mom to reduce your risk of injury adding yoga is also beneficial as well as stretching Um, The fifth recommendation is pelvic floor training should be started during your pregnancy in order to reduce your risk of incontinence. And incontinence means leaking pee. Proper instruction is recommended. So that means going to see a pelvic floor therapist to get the proper prescription of pelvic floor exercises, also known as Kegels, that are appropriate for your body because it's not just a one size fits all. And And so... 
what we hear a lot about about the Kegels, like I mean, my understanding of Kegels, right, was the way that you you know read it in Cosmopolitan magazine when you were a teenager, (laughs) was you know just just the tightening and the contracting of pelvic floor muscles. But if I heard you correctly, what you're saying is that like Kegels are not just that, or is it that there's way more to pelvic floor? exercise than just kegels absolutely so your kegel actually starts at your breath so going back to that your diaphragm we need to ensure that you're getting that proper it's called a 360 degree breath so it's going all around your rib cage that needs to be perfected in order to get a good uh pelvic floor contraction and then for some women actually doing kegels isn't beneficial if you're someone who holds more tension in your lower body if you accidentally without even knowing like you clench your abdominal muscles or you clench your thigh muscles your pelvic floor might be hypertonic or tight a tight pelvic floor is not a good thing so with that particular individual's kegels would not be appropriate and we'd be doing more breathing exercises to help with relaxation Um, and there are individuals who are weak and they just need to work on strengthening their pelvic floor throughout their pregnancy yeah, so personalization, like you said, is really the key here where it's best to not assume that you need to do any one type of exercise or assume that, that you know, this is the problem or this is what I need to do because someone else said that that's what they did or you read it in a magazine article, exactly. uh, but actually connecting with a professional who's who's going to do that assessment and make sure that the exercises you're doing are appropriate for you. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, The sixth recommendation is pregnant women who experience lightheadedness, dizziness, or nausea when they exercise on their back should modify their exercises so they're just sitting on um, an incline of about 40 degrees or just avoid the supine position. That's going to depend on every single woman's uh, physiology, if it's an appropriate exercise to do on their back. Typically, for my patients, the evidence isn't quite there with saying like this is safe versus not safe so around 20 weeks or so i'm telling my patients just to get up on an incline of 40 degrees or so um to avoid uh, the supine position yeah so you're not like waiting until someone has an issue necessarily it's just exactly let's just modify this yeah that's fair that's fair yeah and those are the uh six recommendations now there are some women who exercise is not appropriate for Um, There are different contraindications, and that means that that woman has a particular medical issue where exercise at the moderate intensity would not be appropriate for her. However, she is still allowed to do activities of daily living. So, i.e. bed rest is not recommended in these guidelines. Um, There is another set of contraindications, which are known as relative contraindications. Um, So just... An example of that is if someone has symptomatic anemia, a history of spontaneous preterm birth, gestational hypertension, those women would be needing to talk to their healthcare provider to make some adaptations to their current physical activity and determine if it's appropriate for them. Perfect. And yeah. so, you know, you mentioned one of the things, um, you know, a couple of things that have sort of changed over the years of if you weren't previously active to not start getting active during a pregnancy. And I know there's been a lot of shift in terms of like heart rate and, and things like that. You know, we still hear lots of people saying, Oh, well, you know, my, my doctor or someone told me that I shouldn't get my heart rate over 130 or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, how, like, is this the 2019 guidelines? Are those the, those the first guidelines that we've had or was there a previous set of guidelines? 
So the first set of guidelines came out in 1985. And this was based on the American College of Obstetricians, Gynecologists. Um, Their recommendations came on theoretical risk. And it was based on expert opinion at the time, um, which is the lowest quality of evidence. And so there just wasn't a lot of research. Exactly. So this anything at (laughs) the time. Yeah. So that's where the 140 beats per minute, don't get your heart rate over 140 beats came from. Okay. Um, okay. Other recommendations within that guideline were don't exercise more than 15 minutes. And then if you're an active prior to pregnancy, then don't even bother starting. Okay. And then in the early nineties, the researchers were like, you know what? Perceived exertion is the way to go. We are scrapping the 140 beats per minute. Mm Mm-hmm. However, that has still lived on for yeah. longer than 30 years because I still hear 140 beats per minute. Yep. Um, I heard that in yeah. my pregnancy. Oh, goodness. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not based on any quality evidence. It should be perceived exertion that we're explaining to that woman. Okay. Okay. That's so important to know. That's so important to know. So when it comes to, so we talked about kind of the recommendations and, you know, what women can do who maybe aren't as active going into their pregnancy and, you know, really want to work up to this certain level of fitness and and certain level of exercise in order to reduce some of these risks. What about for people who are already quite active and quite fit in their pregnancies? Because I think that's, that's probably the majority of the listeners that we're talking to today are people who are already, you know, have this high level of fitness or doing a lot of activity. What are some of the bigger mistakes or missteps that you see those people making during their pregnancies? What are, what are some of the things that you see that maybe they're not quite doing right? Okay, so this is what I did in my pregnancy too, because I was really fit and I just continued doing my same program until I got hurt. Mm, So I should have seen a pelvic floor therapist after my first trimester of pregnancy, just to go over what my current physical activity is, what it entails, what are my goals for pregnancy, and then get some advice of uh, if particular exercises need to be adjusted. Um, And then ensuring that we're doing strength training in pregnancy, especially all the runners out there. A lot of them are doing strength training, which is fantastic, but there are so many changes happening to your body when you are pregnant. So even though you're running right now and you have no pain as your body starts to change, there's a lot of adaptations that have to happen at your hips, at your spine, at your thorax. And those changes can put more strain on your pelvic floor. Running is fantastic for cardiovascular benefits, right? Like my runners, I know that they're getting the 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise, but running can be challenging on the pelvic floor because it's a high impact exercise. So do yourself a favor before you start getting issues, go see a pelvic floor therapist and just determine like if you're doing your breathing properly, if you're syncing up your exercises and pelvic floor appropriately and just learn um, the adaptations that are going to occur in pregnancy and things that you can help do to mitigate your risk of injury and issues with pelvic floor. Yeah. So don't wait until something hurts. Don't wait till you have a problem. Don't wait until you have to stop exercising. Be preventative, be, be proactive, which I mean, obviously is great advice for so many different things in life. But I think especially in pregnancy, because things are changing and happening so fast, like, you know, a month is a very long time in in pregnancy, like your body is so different in the course of even one month, that it, it just is something that you have to constantly stay on top of it and constantly sort of evolve with. Right. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, what about people who are maybe doing too much? Like, is there sort of a, a, a certain point where you would see somebody with their exercise program and think, you know, you maybe don't need to be doing that much in your pregnancy. Like I'm thinking about the women that I see that are still, you know, running marathons in like their second trimester and and stuff like that. Like, is that, is that something that we should kind of strive for if we're able to like continue to, if we've signed up for a race, like keep training and, and keep getting ready for it? Or is there a certain point where maybe this is more risky than it is beneficial? Right. I think it just depends on the person in front of you and seeing okay. how they're feeling when they're running. Is that person experiencing any pain? I think something to be really important of is pelvic floor heaviness when you're running as well. Uh, if you were experiencing those symptoms, then it wouldn't be appropriate. Or we need to, to look at your posture, uh, running biomechanics, see if there's any adjustments to be made. But if your body's telling you uh, that you're experiencing pain when you're running, what your pelvic floor, you're noticing you're leaking now when you're running, then that wouldn't be appropriate. Okay. So if you feel good and everything's going fine, you know, obviously you're slowing down, taking those proper precautions. You're not running right. through a lot of pain or discomfort and kind of pushing, pushing through things that maybe you shouldn't be pushing through. Right. If all is good, then there's really no upper limit to the amount of exercise that a person could theoretically engage in. So currently the research has just focused on moderate intensity exercise. The vigorous exercise is something that's being studied more uh, in detail now, but we still don't have a threshold of an upper limit of physical activity. There are some more guidelines that are coming out from um, Southern Asia, I believe, has a new guideline from 2021. And they're saying, keep your heart rate less than 90% of your heart rate max. Like that's pretty intense, right? Like you're nearly at like an all out sprint with that. Um, at those levels, we're unsure if there's any adverse effects uh, with babies. So current recommendations are just focusing on moderate intensity exercise. And then if that woman was engaging in that more vigorous exercise prior to pregnancy, then as long as everything's looking good with her and baby, then it's okay for her to continue with that more moderate to vigorous physical activity in pregnancy. Yeah. And in terms of duration of activity, like how many minutes per week, there there wouldn't really be an upper limit at that moderate no. intensity. Again, no. as long as everything's fine. Exactly. And in fact, 150 minutes is the bare minimum that we want to encourage women to obtain. The more that she is physically active, the more benefits there are for baby and mom. Yeah, I think that's actually really important to note is, is that 150 minute um, recommendation that we use in, in a lot of different areas. Like it's not just pregnancy that we have this right. 150 minute guideline. Um, yeah, that is that is a minimum, a minimum recommendation. So any other kind of major um, mistakes or, or things that you see runners especially doing wrong when it comes to their pregnancy? Is there anything else there that uh, that you see really often? So I'd say like cross-training as well. So if that individual was partaking in maybe pull-ups or like your more traditional abdominal strengthening exercises, um, a lot of women know about diastasis in pregnancy, um, which is the thinning out of the linea alba. The linea alba is the connective tissue that holds your two six-pack muscles called your rectus, rectus abdominis muscles together. That tissue needs to thin out and stretch in order for your baby to grow. So it's completely normal. Um, it's not something that's pathological that we can stop from happening. 
but we want to ensure that we are balancing our intra-abdominal pressure where you are not noticing your tummy come to a point when you're doing exercises. And the more typical exercises that would cause that would be a sit-up or even your extension exercise. So extension means like leaning backwards as well. So even women in their third trimester of pregnancy, if you're doing a shoulder press overhead and you're standing, you're going to lean into that thoracic extension, which can cause doming. Doming is not a painful thing. It's not something you really perceive as happening. So it's nice to actually check in with your tummy and see what's going on. That might mean working out with just like your sports bra and if you're comfortable with that. We want to avoid that stretching on the linea alba because that can make it a bit trickier to rehab in the postpartum period. Mm, okay. Okay. So not doing exercises that are going to, you know, sort of exacerbate that issue or, or kind of like make it make it more obvious or make it worse, even though a little bit of stretching is normal and expected and okay. We don't want exactly. to like, we, we don't want to sort of push it and, and make it happen even more than it needs to. Exactly. And um, there are some women who think that doing core exercises, like you just have to stop because they say like, I, I don't want to make like my diastasis anymore. So then they just stop doing core exercises. And, oh my goodness, a core a runner who stops doing core exercises, like you can end up with a lot of trouble with that. So we want to continue to exercise our core, okay. um, but we're probably going to change up the type of exercises that we're doing. Yeah. Okay. Great to know. Great to know. And so then, you know, we've had, we've had our pregnancy, we've made it to the end, we've had our baby. And what about in the postpartum period? So what are some of the things that you see, you know, a lot of runners doing wrong? Or what advice do you have for runners or or other very active people uh, in the postpartum period, things to kind of watch out for? Okay. This is going to be really hard for a lot of runners to hear. I know what you're going to say. I know exactly what you're going to say. Okay. (laughs) There is good research to support that we want to work on allowing your body to heal, allowing your body to get strong and waiting at least four to six months before we start running again. I will tell my runners this in their pregnancy so they can start to wrap their head around this. And this isn't to say in the postpartum period that you're just going to be sedentary. Once you get your clearance from your OB at six weeks, that is not your clearance to start running again, but it's your clearance that probably even like a few weeks prior that that we can start doing some breathing exercises, core exercises, um, reconnecting with your pelvic floor and building up a strength program to get you back running at four months. Okay. Typically at the earliest. I know that's really hard to hear. Yeah. But I think that's so important because I, I, I can't even tell you how many runners I see who get that six week clearance yeah. and they're immediately like, you know, signing up for a marathon or immediately, you know, and, and part of it is, yes, we want to get our fitness back. We want to get our strength back, especially if we've had to stop running maybe earlier in our pregnancy. And now it has been maybe six months or eight months by that point since we've been right. running. It's right. understandable that we want to get back to it as soon as possible. There's always, unfortunately, that motivation to lose the baby weight and all that stuff that's out there. Um, so there is sort of this rush to get back. But what are some of the downsides of maybe getting back into this high intensity exercise too soon postpartum? Okay. So with a vaginal delivery, the baby's going to pass through muscle in your pelvic floor. This is called your levator anal muscle. It is not back to its regular tensile strength till about 13 months postpartum with the nerves and connective tissues taking at least four to six months to return to their baseline. And some people may never get back to baseline. They're 
there still can be um, some laxity in that levator anus muscle, depending on what type of birth that you had. Okay. 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 And then all the women who are like, well, C-section, I'll just go ahead. Yeah. Um, and I can yeah. start running because I had a C-section. Uh-uh. Your okay. abdominal strength has not returned um, to its baseline strength till about six to seven months postpartum. So okay. individuals who have C-sections, you still got to go to pelvic floor therapy. We want to do scar tissue massage. Yeah. Um, that is a major abdominal surgery, and that still requires postpartum rehab afterwards. Yeah. So we're not saying don't exercise. We're not saying don't start getting back into some kind of fitness routine at that six week point. It's just getting back to the high intensity running stuff that puts a lot of pressure on your pelvic floor and and on those muscles is probably not recommended. Would, Would women possibly put themselves at higher risk of like injury, pain, long term damage, prolonging the rehabilitation of some of these areas? Exactly. Okay. So going back to running too soon may increase the risk of pelvic organ prolapse if that tissue of your pelvic floor isn't quite ready for that high impact exercise. And before I was a pelvic floor therapist, I had no idea what pelvic organ prolapse was. So just to go over briefly, um, it is when the structures that surround your vagina, so you have your bladder in the front, your uterus up top above the vagina, and then your rectum at the back. We have fascia that holds up that tissue as well as ligaments and the pelvic floor holds up that from the bottom. So what happens with pelvic organ prolapse is that tissue can either get too tight or too weak, and those structures can collapse and fall into the wall of the vagina. That woman feels a heaviness in her pelvic floor. She feels cramping in her lower abdomen. And with cases that are more extreme, um, that woman will actually see that organ protruding out of her vagina um, and can actually palpate it. If she sits down on a chair, it feels like she's sitting on a ball. So it's so important to know like like why why are we telling women not to to go back to exercise because within the six weeks you could increase your risk of stress incontinence um fecal incontinence as well as well as pelvic organ prolapse and if your abdominal muscles aren't aren't strong enough then you could increase like low back pain as well Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah just take take a breath give it some time don't rush back and uh you'll be far better off in the long run if you know you just give yourself that time to rehabilitate and re-strengthen everything exactly yeah um any other any other kind of major sort of mistakes or or things that you see people making like other than just you know kind of rushing back to doing too much too soon which i think you know so many people are are going to do in a lot of areas of their lives but just not taking time for themselves honestly i have so many women and they come for like at the end with weekly appointments and then babies here and then i get it like it's so hard it's hard to get out of the house it's hard to time your nursing schedule, like who's going to watch baby. And by the way, most pelvic floor physios are going to be completely fine. If you take baby to appointments, we do not care. That is okay. (laughs) Um, But just take time for yourself. And when you feel ready, go and see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. So you can get an individualized plan um, to get you back to running. Yeah. What about, and it's okay if, if, uh, If you don't know the answer to this, but I've, I've wondered about it. Uh, Maybe it's a little bit more of a nutrition question, but maybe you just see it in your practice. Um, What about like things like milk supply for people who are breastfeeding and then going back to these, these really high levels of activity? Like, do you see people having issues with being able to keep up with the demand and, and maybe some low energy availability impacting that? As long as calories are adjusted for, so that individual, I would refer them off to a dietitian if they were doing those um, high 
intensity exercises and we're cleared for that, I would refer to dietitian. Um, but the, currently there's no like research that says that it's going to impact your milk supply. Okay. So yeah. So just make, making sure that you're eating enough to support all the activity you're doing, you know, just like exactly. in pregnancy, having to eat enough for exercise, plus also the growing baby inside of you. Now you're growing a baby outside of you, but you still exactly. need to make sure you're nourishing yourself. And so much of that comes back to just, you know, always the weight concerns, right. Of wanting to get back to that pre-baby body and, and all of those things. And I think we just need to give ourselves so much more time and space and grace to to get there or to just adjust that our bodies are different postpartum than they were before we have kids. Yes, your bodies is different. Your schedule is different. It took you 10 months to grow those the baby, right? Yeah. Um, and then again, social media, like those expectations of like, what our body's supposed to look like, like a couple of months after we give birth, like my, this is my profession. I am, I have a kinesiology degree. I have a degree in, in physical therapy. It took me two years for my abs to feel that I wasn't doming when I was doing the majority of my abdominal exercises. It just takes time and grace, so much grace. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So we kind of already covered this question, but I'll just, I want to revisit it uh, just in case there's anything that, that we sort of missed already. But at what point should someone really look at connecting with a pelvic floor physiotherapist? Like when, you know, you find out that you're pregnant, woohoo, okay. Yeah. Uh, when, when should you make that first appointment with your pelvic floor physio? Okay. So it would be amazing if more women were to reach out before they were trying or when they were trying to conceive okay. in their pregnancy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great to know. Because then we can start going over the physical activity recommendations and the physical activity exercise you do prior to pregnancy is going to set you up for a healthier pregnancy as well. So maybe there's a woman who's not exercising as much. So we can start to increase her exercise, start her with resistance training. And then when her pregnancy begins, she already knows what she needs to achieve. But can you imagine being an individual who's sedentary and you're seven weeks pregnant? And I don't really see a ton of women who are that early on in their pregnancy. And I'm telling you, in order to have the healthiest pregnancy for both you and baby, that you got to get to this 150 minutes of modern intensity exercise. That's like a very daunting task for women in their first trimester of pregnancy. So it's learning what those expectations are and making those adjustments within your schedule to allow for that physical activity to take place. Okay. And then if someone is pregnant, you could just come whenever you, you feel up to it. Like earlier, the better. Again, I will go over um, your breathing, like your pelvic floor connection. Um, the therapist would go over what your exercise is, ensuring that you're getting that moderate intensity exercise. Um, I do like it when women come in a bit earlier. However, I have women coming when they're like 34 weeks and we'll still try to do as much education as we can, even though it's yeah. very condensed. Okay. That was actually going to be my next question is, is there a point where it's too late? The ship is safe. There's not. I've okay. done like at 37 weeks and I'm like, okay, buckle up. Like we're going to go oh through a gosh. lot right now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And then she was in labor the next day. Exactly. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, you know, I think the, you know, we're talking about the pelvic floor and, you know, breathing and an exercise to kind of get through a pregnancy as healthy and, and reducing health risks as much as possible. I mean, myself included, and I'm sure every, every pregnant person out there is thinking, okay, what can you do to help me make labor and delivery 
easier. And I know a lot of these conversations around breathing and being able to relax your pelvic floor and, and coordinate these muscles and all that kind of stuff is, is really what this is all about. Um, but yeah, any tips or advice for getting through that part of this adventure any easier? Okay. So that's why again, going back to breathing is so important and it's way easier to learn this breathing in your first and second trimester. Um, as your pregnancy progresses, it is harder to get your proper diaphragmatic breath down to pelvic floor just because baby's taking up so much real estate in your abdominal um, wall, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, so at around 34 weeks is where most physiotherapists are going to start doing what's called down training exercises for pelvic floor. So that just means like relaxation exercises. We'll go over perennial stretching and massage. Um, the Cochrane Review database encourages that every single woman at 34 weeks learn how to do perennial stretching and massage to help you reduce your risk of more severe tearing in pregnancy as well as episiotomies. Um, so we'll teach that. We'll teach you how to get your breath to pelvic floor if you haven't already learned that. We will teach you how to push. There's two different types of pushing types, so we can go over that so you feel more confident. With my first, I didn't know how to push um, until I was actually pushing my my baby out of me. So it would have been a little bit easier uh, to tap into different types of pushing mechanisms and practice that ahead of time. Um, We'll go over certain stretches that you can do um, using even like exercise equipment that everyone has in their house, like an exercise ball, and then linking that exercise with your breath. It's not saying that Kegels is like bad to do at that point of pregnancy, but we really just shift focus and start doing more relaxation exercises for labor and delivery. I also think it's so important that every single woman who is pregnant take a course, however you learn better, in person, online, on labor delivery and the postpartum period. Um, the more education that a woman does, it stacks the odds of your in your favor of things going better during mm-hmm. your birth. Um, I recommend to every single one of my women to take a course or check out the Winnipeg Breastfeeding Center website. They have uh, so much information. If you click on resources for family, um, an entire page, like it is a course within itself of breastfeeding of when you can start doing hand expression of your colostrum different types of latch styles. Um, It's just an incredible resource that we have for families, but not a lot of women are aware of this. And if you're in the hospital and I give birth in the hospital, there's going to be some fantastic nurses that are taking care of you postpartum. But if you struggle with breastfeeding, they will help you. But we know like healthcare system, those nurses don't have the time to teach you. So if you're struggling, you're kind of needing to figure out your own resources at that very vulnerable time who's going to help you with breastfeeding. And it's usually making an appointment with lactation consultant. So if you can do the work ahead of time and look at these resources, check out these videos. If you have the resources to hire a lactation consultant and meet with them ahead of time, both you and your partner, it is going to make breastfeeding so much easier. Mm. A lot of women, we know like labor delivery, postpartum, that's hard, but breastfeeding is very hard for a first time mom. So I would, um, as a physio, help with um, postures for breastfeeding because a lot of times, like the first six weeks, like you are just breastfeeding, like um, you get like like an hour break typically, and then you're starting to nurse all over again. So that's really hard on your body. So we'll go over ways to protect your wrist. I would start exercises for um, wrist strengthening to ensure we don't get a condition called mom thumb or reduce our risk of that. We'll go over scapular exercises and just positioning uh, of the baby so you don't end up hurting your body when you're breastfeeding because it's like a full contact sport I swear 
<laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, there's just, there's so much, so much to learn and so much to it. But I think the real big take home message that I'm getting here is that there's so much that we can do to make this whole process easier on our bodies, right? Everything Absolutely. from preconception, fitness, and and looking after ourselves to get set up for a healthy pregnancy, to moving and, and doing certain things throughout pregnancy, to learning different stretches and mobility exercises and stuff to have a, a smoother, smooth as possible delivery experience. Exactly. To, you know, just to the postpartum period and then getting back into running in a, a, a pain-free way. Like, you know, there's just so much potential that can kind of be unlocked by by getting educated and by following these different steps. Yeah, exactly. So there is awesome podcasts that women can listen to during their pregnancy. One that I recommend is the Evidence-Based Birth Podcast. They have a enormous amount of topics and everything is evidence-based. And it's a nurse uh, practitioner, I believe, who hosts that podcast. So I recommend to most of my patients to listen to that. Yeah, I love the Evidence-Based Birth Podcast. That's yeah. definitely one that's on my list too. <laughs> Another phenomenal resource for women who are pregnant in the postpartum period is a guideline created by physiotherapists around the world. And this is called Returning to Running Postnatal Guidelines for Medical Health and Fitness Professionals Managing This Population. So this guideline is 30 pages and it is not a self-screening tool to get you back to exercise. You will need to work with a physiotherapist or exercise professional in order to determine what exercises are appropriate for you. But what this uh, PDF and guideline has is what we look for to get a woman back to exercising. Yeah, so other things that the guideline has to offer is um, what we're looking for for pelvic floor health, uh, what type of contractions we're looking for to get that woman back to running, um, getting her screened to, to ensure that she doesn't have prolapse, um, looking at her abdominal muscles and making sure that diastasis is well controlled. And then we start them on an impact training regime for a few weeks and determine if that's appropriate for their body. It's so in-depth. It goes over psychological status. It goes over what type of running stroller to use and what type of supportive clothing to wear. So it's an enormous amount of resources for women. So I would recommend women read this, but again, you're going to use this as a tool with your physiotherapist to get you back to running. Okay. And is that found like, like you can Google it and access it yeah. for free? Yep. You can Google it access for free. It's a free PDF. Yeah. And can you say the name of it one more time for us? Yes, it is the returning to running postnatal guidelines for medical health and fitness professionals managing this population. Wow. That's amazing. Have you heard of it before? No, I haven't. No, that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I have to check that out. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it'll be, it'll be really helpful for, you know, everyone who's kind of listening to this. And then, you know, of course for me too, <laughs> something that I'll definitely be checking out as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So where can people get connected with you? So uh, where can people find you? Where can people work with you? And do you offer virtual services um, outside of Manitoba? Yes. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Kelly Small Physiotherapy. You can always shoot me an email at kellysmall@shaw.ca, And I do offer virtual services. However, I would have to be uh, treating women who reside in Manitoba. 
um, for my licensing. Okay. So yeah, so you can find Kelly, you can connect with her on social media, find all of her great, uh, great free content there on, on socials. And then if you happen to live here in Manitoba, where we both live, then you can, uh, you can see her in person or of course, virtually is such a great option to have these days. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here and taking the time out of your, your busy schedule to record this episode. I think it was so helpful to just, you know, give people kind of that overview of fitness, all of the different ways that, that physiotherapy, you know, orthopedic physiotherapy and also pelvic floor and women's health physiotherapy can kind of just help us be stronger, be more fit and, you know, really take care of ourselves during our pregnancies and in the postpartum period, which, you know, is a time that, uh, that can be really challenging physically and, and mentally and everything like that. So once again, I, I so appreciate you sharing your time and expertise today. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope that you took away some great tips, found a lot of it very valuable. And sorry, one last thing, you had mentioned these 2019 recommendations, uh, the 2019 guidelines, where can people find those if they actually want to read them. Yes, there's a a PDF. If you were to Google the 2019 Canadian guideline for physical activity throughout pregnancy, you're going to find these six recommendations, as well as contraindications, the relative contraindications, um, and the risk reduction when you engage in the Okay, so just super super easy to Google it. You'll find the PDF and download it and read it for yourself. That's fantastic. All right. Once again, thank you so much, Kelly. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That's it for this week's episode. We will see you next week. Uh, But that's all for us today. Bye for now. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not to be used or relied upon for the diagnosis or treatment of any health condition. This information does not create a client-practitioner relationship and should not be used as a substitute for professional medical advice.